Welcome everyone to Rock'em Nation Podcasts. Uh, I am Sam Snelling. I'm here for another brand spanking new episode of Dive Cuts. We are on season four. This is episode seven. Here to talk Mizzou hoops with uh, everyone's favorite uh, prognosticator picking Mizzou above media projections, Matt Harris. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. And, you know, I'm just reveling in us having a schedule and being able to, you know, two weeks from tip-off finally start getting a sense of who's actually going to play each other. (laughs) Nothing like waiting until the very end, SEC office, to turn in your assignment. Good job. Got that in just under the wire. And I am, uh, I am freshly returned off my second trip to uh, Kentucky um, in the span of, what, three weeks? Something like that? Four weeks? Um, for anybody that was following on Twitter, I uh, one of my uh, good friends, uh, John Perkins, who, if you uh, are a fan of Southern food and in the St. Louis area, you should check out his restaurant, uh, Juniper. Um, also, John's a big Mizzou fan, uh, so he's always likes to uh you know peck me with questions on both football and basketball uh but john invited me to go to uh, louisville with him uh go to four roses and uh and pick out a barrel so it was a really fun trip and uh got to pick out a four roses barrel if anyone uh, i know we have some listeners here if you're in the st louis area and looking to pick up uh the the bourbon that that i I picked uh, or helped pick I should probably say um, you can do so at, at Juniper's website it's just junipereats.com I think junipereats.com uh, yeah you can get a uh, a freshly picked barrel of Four Roses bourbon Matt do you want one? sure I mean I'll always take bourbon not like we don't have enough in our house Ellery <laughs> <laughs> will probably be thrilled we we inherited some from the wedding last week. She's going to just wonder. It's going to be all boxes and bourbon in, in our dining room. That's what it's going to be. Just just glasses of booze and cardboard we had to break down. That's going to be our life. Hey, there are, uh, there are worse things than people showering you with gifts after being uh, you know freshly married. And having more than enough bourbon to drink. No, no, we shouldn't complain. We shouldn't look to that particular gift horse in the mouth. Shouldn't do that. But it has been, kind of been an eventful uh, couple weeks for us. Um, there was signing day this week. We got a, uh, a result on where Bragging Rights is being played. We got the entire SEC schedule. We know most of what Missouri's non-conference schedule is going to be like uh where do you want to start here i think just with the schedule writ large you know we can you know we can go thirty thousand feet or and then you know drill down you know if you start there this is really a 26 game slate that's only lacking four buy games four body bag games really that's about it um it's and you know when you strip those out, it's it's a pretty tough 
you know, slate of games here. Missouri did not, um, you know, use the pandemic or use, you know, uncertainty as an out to put together a soft non-con schedule. Um, they're they're going to have a, a tough go still. Um, and we wondered how the schedule would look or if it would have that same sort of feel, you know, once the coronavirus sort of blew everything up this spring. This reconstitute schedule took a little bit and, you know, it required an MTV, an MTE kind of falling apart in Orlando and one coming together at the Mohegan Sun. But it's it, it's still um, going to be a slate where there's going to be, I think, 20 top 100 games, 9 or 10 against the top 50. Um, you know, you get preseason top 25 teams in Oregon and Illinois in the non-con. Um and a team like even a team like Bradley is going to be a, a potential contender in the Missouri Valley. Uh, just you know, it, it's a schedule that you put together if you think you have an NCAA tournament team. And Conzo uh, Martin, you know, the, the easiest game he's going to give in his team is Oral Roberts, and that's the opener on November twenty-five, and then it ramps up pretty quick after that. Yeah, uh, I mean Liberty, uh, despite our uh, protests. Uh, <laughs> uh, over the summer about the announcement of that game. Um, Liberty is a, a, a good opponent when you just look at it from a strictly basketball perspective. They, you know, uh, um, What's their coach's name? Richie McKay. Um, it, you know, Richie McKay's done a really good job there, and, and he has a very, very good basketball program. Uh, so that's a good game. Uh, what you know, Bradley has been able to do over the last few years under Brian Wardle. I think a lot of people thought that Wardle, after uh, you know Bradley had some success, what was that two years ago um, when they won the MVC, um, won the tournament, and, and had kind of a a nice run. I think there were some people that were looking at him as maybe a guy who might bounce, but he stuck it out, and you know, and Bradley is looking like a, another team in the Valley this year who. Um, who will kind of contend towards the top of the league. Um, so you have two good games there. Uh, and then you mentioned the Mohegan Sun, Oregon, obviously no slouch. Um, and I think that they're also slated to, to probably play Boston College, if I read that right. Yeah, Boston College will probably be the other opponent there. And uh, BC is going to be a little bit lower uh, in the ACC this year. They're 106 in Kim Palm preseason projection. But still, that's a power conference program on a neutral floor. Um, that's better than taking a uh, a bye game against a low major. Um, so, and realistically, it's not a bad step up after you play Oral Roberts in the home opener. Um, the one game that's going to be interesting to see what what it winds up or what value it winds up having is Wichita State. Um, as, as everyone probably knows by now. Uh, Greg Marshall looks to be, or is reportedly, on the way out at some point this week. We'll see if those reports, you know, bear out over time. But Wichita State's in a state of flux right now. They had massive roster turnover. Marshall's future's in doubt there. Um, we'll, who knows what that program's going to look like a couple weeks from now. If Marshall's gone, will they be under an interim? Um, and just what's that team psyche going to be like? in early December. Uh, but still, that's a top 75 team that you're going to play on the road. 
Um, so on paper, that still looks like a quality matchup there. Uh, TCU at home uh, in the SEC Big 12 event. Um, they're 53rd in Kempom, but I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that Jamie Dixon's kind of underwhelmed a little bit there. He has a sub-500 record in the Big 12. Um, Big, made Big the 12 is going to be second. brutal this year, too. And it's, and it's going to be brutal. Um, so, you know, TCU's going to have, you know, teams across the Big 12 typically have pretty strong Kempom rings just because they play each other and they, you know, sort of give each other booster shots. But the quality of that TCU team is going to be really interesting. They're also losing a guy like Desmond Bain, um, who was who drove a lot of their offense for them. So that's going to be interesting to see what quality they look like in January. Um, but overall, not a bad non-conference schedule. Um, and obviously the news today, um, the coin flip went Missouri's way, and Illinois is coming to Columbia for the first time since 1978 uh, for bragging rights. So uh, that's a fortunate break for Missouri to get a – you know, a team that I think is that is going to be a preseason top ten team in Columbia uh, for a home game. So that's that's another uh, potential uh, pothole on the schedule for them. But at least it's in Columbia, which will be interesting to see. It's interesting to me. Um, you always like to compare like the preseason expectations when you look at like you know the the, the writers and uh, media folks and the analysts. Uh, versus, you know, what Kempom has. Um, Kempom has, you know, Illinois. It, Big Ten is always like a really tough league. Um, it doesn't look like this year they're going to have a whole lot of like elite teams. I think Illinois has a really good chance to kind of be an elite team in that league. Um, but yeah, Kempom has them 18th, which is good. Yep. I mean, it's it would be second in the SEC. Uh, yep. You know, but they're. They're fifth, one, two, three, four, five, sixth. They're sixth in the Big Ten, uh, behind Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I'm not necessarily convinced that uh, Michigan, Michigan State will be that high before the end. Uh, I think they're they're both probably looking at a little bit of a reset, but it's kind of the same thing with the Big Twelve. When you kind of get into it, a lot of those teams kind of you know beat up on each other um, and you know, help inflate the rankings. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, Missouri's non-conference schedule is built uh, like it's a team that expects to be in the NCAA tournament. I mean, they're not ducking anybody. Uh, there's enough kind of, you know, reset games, I think, where, uh, you know, you play Oral Roberts, who's, you know, a good solid, you know, mid-major team, but a team that you should beat by double digits pretty easily. Um you also have Liberty and Bradley, which are kind of in similar positions, although they're a little bit of a step up from Oral Roberts. Uh, and then you have, you know, like three or four really good games against high majors. Um, it's going to be a tough schedule. And, you know, I, I, I tend to uh, agree with Konzo's outlook. I do think that Missouri is, is probably going to outperform a lot of expectations. And we can kind of talk about that as we get into the SEC schedule. But, uh, I think this, they're a team that can th- beat projections, uh, but there's nowhere to hide. I mean, they're, they're not going to, they're certainly not going to uh, be getting into the NCAA tournament based upon an inflated <laughs> uh, win loss record, you know, by, by picking up bodies in the, uh, the non con. 
No, no. If you if you get through the first seven games at five and two, that that that's a win. You know, that's a that's a bonus in there. The the question is, can you pick up a a, a quad one win out of that group? They're, I think they're going to have three shots at quad one wins: Oregon, Wichita State, Illinois. Can you snag a quad one win in there? And do yourself a favor if you come out of that first if you come out of those first seven games at one and two against the quad one portion of your schedule i think you're set up for a pretty good success uh that means you're probably gonna have a win that's going to be durable um and i think the one thing that the ncaa selection committee is going to take note of this year is you know in suboptimal circumstances how hard did you work to build a tough schedule missouri did that missouri's gonna have you know three you know, road or neutral site games in its first five against basically Ken Palm top 100 teams. And they're going to take on Oregon in on a neutral floor, and they're going to go to Wichita State. So I think if the committee is, you know, evaluating Missouri's effort here to find tough opponents and find quality opponents, they're going to see that Conzo Martin and his staff really did their level best to put together a quality slate and, that, and that's going to help them I, you know i think when it comes time to compare resumes you know we the committee you know i think has gotten better at using objective tools and you know an objective process but i do think you have to infer you know when you look at team schedules intentionality there you know you can see you know who tried to go out and make tough games happen and who tried to give themselves opportunities and i think if you have equal resumes and you've got or teams that look pretty equal in terms of metrics, do you lean towards the team that went out and tried to find quality games? I, I tend to think that that winds up winning the day. So, you know, it has to pan out. Missouri's got to win games, but kudos to the staff and, and to everyone for trying to put together a schedule that I think the committee's going to look at and say, yeah, there was an earnest effort here to, to play quality opponents and to put it together a good resume, you know, when the time comes in March. Yeah, and I, I will continue to contend that um, as many fans as possible need to look at this entire season as uh, a reset for kind of everybody. Like, I really don't think you want to put as much stock into what happens, uh, really good or bad, just because of, you know, I, we were kind of talking before, before we came on about, you know, there's no telling what expectations are kind of coming into the year. But when you look at the COVID case rate and the fact that I think like 47 of the 50 states are listed as having it in uncontrollable spread levels, uh, and it's obviously uh, very clearly impacted college football. Uh, and college basketball, I think, is even harder to hide, you know, because smaller group of players, you're going to be running by or, and have, making contact with just about everybody on the floor on a you know possession by possession basis and so one positive test is going to just impact a team and we've already seen that i think iona is as uh has called off like the first two weeks um because yeah. of a positive case uh and the ivy league has has shut down the entire season um so it's really going to be uh interesting to kind of watch how things play out because it's entirely possible that you could have a great start to the year 
uh, and then you have one positive case and everything has to get shut down for two weeks and then you you lose whatever momentum you had and then you, you come back and you just look like crap for two weeks before you kind of get things going again. And that's just, that's why I think like we all just have to have a different point of view on you know wins and losses this year <laughs> so you, you well, you're gonna hope for the best uh but i just think the simple fact that they're playing basketball um you know for our entertainment and and dollars uh we should be thankful for and greg Senke, you know said on a conference call earlier in the week that it, it may be down to win percentage here is how we're going to decide seedings uh, it sounds like there's going to be an expectation already that we're not going to have teams that are going to, you know, put together even an entire 18-game conference slate. So, I think judging performance this year is is going to be one where we don't do it at all. You know, I think Mulligans are going to be pretty liberal this year. Um, I think you're going to have to really consider, like you were saying, you know what the state of the roster is when guys were out and it's I don't envy being on the selection committee this year and trying to pick through resumes that I don't think are going to come close to being comparable in here you know usually (laughs) we have a pretty good standard benchmark I just don't think that's going to happen which gets back to my point which I think what the committee wants to see is did you try to put together something here did you try to schedule and create opportunities for them to honestly evaluate your basketball team? Yeah. And so I think that's what helps Missouri here is maybe not all the games don't get played. Maybe they lose three, four, five, six, whatever. But you can look at the 26 games you know, in this spreadsheet and see Missouri went out and put together a schedule that, that was designed to make them competitive in March. Um, it'll be in honestly at this juncture i would hope that the emphasis of the program is to do all they can to preserve the sec portion of the schedule if it means that you have to lose you know games against liberty bradley or even you know as sad as it would be illinois you sacrifice those chances to try and put together a conference slate um and see what you can do there so we'll see how it plays out but um they the SEC certainly scheduled like a conference that expects things to be normal. Um, they went 18 games. They didn't adjust kind of the structure. It looks like an SEC schedule would look if there wasn't a pandemic raging across the country. So um, just, Sam, I was curious, just your initial thoughts on, on what the uh, folks in Birmingham handed Conzo and, and the rest of the guys this year. Well, I mean, as far as this I'm a little surprised that they just they seem to have treated it like a regular year. I mean, it's it's Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, yeah. Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and uh, I mean, as as a, a writer, I like that repetition. Um, I particularly like when they play on on Tuesdays versus you know Wednesdays. Um, it, it just gives you more time for turnaround. Um, and I think overall, like Missouri's, at least Missouri's schedule is, it starts out, I think, a little bit tough. And then there's like a little middle of the road where I think they, uh, they're they going to have a tough time 
Um, but it, it sets up enough with, with opportunities that I think if Missouri can kind of get one or two outcomes to kind of go their way instead of in past years where the, you know, really hasn't, um, then I think this, this is like exactly the kind of schedule that you want. And, and we kind of talked about like the, uh, the opening part of the schedule. So they open with Tennessee, uh, and then two road games. So against Arkansas, Mississippi state, uh, that's a really tough way to open. Um, and then you come back home for LSU. So that's a stretch of four games because of two road games where it's it's difficult. Um, so I think what you're hoping out of that is you're hoping to kind of make sure that you get to two and two. Uh, two and two is, is the expectation. Uh, three and one is the hope. If you can flip one of those games, then I think you're, you're in a good spot. Um, I think you either need to beat Tennessee or LSU at home. And I think you need to beat Mississippi State um, on the road. I, like that, I think the Mississippi State road game is a, is a must win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then hopefully you can either get uh, either Tennessee and LSU, which would be fantastic because that's, uh, that's two big home wins um, against good teams and teams that are you know, likely projected way ahead of you in the conference. Um, or a road game against Arkansas is always going to look great on your, on your resume. Uh, and the good news with, with it being a pandemic is, is road games are going to be way different because the, you know, the, the crowd environment is just not going to be as big of a factor. I think teams will always still feel more comfortable on their home floor and shooting on their home rims, um, you know, but there's no intimidating environment to, to walk into. Um, yeah. The, one thing that would that I you know as I've gone through forecast is Missouri's played LSU pretty tough at home under Conzo Martin. Um, I think they generally have a good scout and a good sense of how to handle what Will Wade does defensively. Um, well, they they and, played him. Uh, I think that was that under Will it, Wade, like the first year they went down there and, and played terribly. Um, but yeah. each of the last two years, like they they should have beat them. Two years ago at home, and they probably should have beat them last year at at LSU. Yeah, and that's an LSU team that's doing a little bit of a reset. Uh, They bring back some key players. You know, they obviously bring back Trenton Watford, who's going to be a potential preseason player of the year. They've got Javante Smart, but Smart hasn't really been as efficient of a point guard. Uh, Watford wasn't great defensively, uh, settled for jumpers at times. They're going to have some issues at the wing that they've got to kind of sort out. They've got some freshmen, they've got a freshman class that's pretty good here, but the real question for LSU right now is just what's their depth going to look like? Um, and early on in the year, uh, I think that's a good time to pick off a team. Is LSU coming in, still trying to maybe sort itself out? Um, and then that road game at Mississippi State, I I don't know how Mississippi State expects to score baskets, but they're going to try. <laughs> um, but those would be the two games that I would sort of say you need to pick up early. Um Tennessee is going to be really good. Um, Arkansas has got enough talent up and down the roster that I think they should be able to hold serve at home. But as I've told you before, I think people look at Arkansas's roster and they're, and they go, Oh, that's a good group. But only Desi Sills is the guy is the only returner who really played for us a year ago. We don't know what 
that rotation's going to look like. We don't know what roles are going to be filled out there. Um, if Arkansas has you know some bumps early on, whether that's the teams having to cancel or injuries or whatever, I think Arkansas is vulnerable in at BWA, especially if that building's not you know filled to the rafters. But you know, just looking at on paper and looking at kind of just the challenges and the locations here, I think you hope to bounce back and, and get a road win at Mississippi State and pick off LSU at home. Uh, realistically, though, if you can get to 3-3 three and three or 4-2 and two out of those first six games, I, I think you're really, really happy um, with where you stand because then it's uh, A&M, or then it's South Carolina at home, at Tennessee, at Auburn, TCU at home, Kentucky at home, Alabama at home, and then Ole Miss on the road. I mean, that's it's a tough stretch. That's a tough stretch. So, um, so, and I'm going to even break it down even further from that that group because I look at the three game in league stretch of at Tennessee, at Auburn, home against Kentucky. Um, yeah. Right now, I I projected that as three losses, but yeah. again, talk about opportunity. Um, you're probably not going to beat Tennessee. Um, on the road, I mean, Tennessee's just going to be really good. And uh, by that point, you know, they've got a couple young freshmen, um, one of which I think is, you know, being looked at as a potential lottery pick. Uh, and if if you're getting later in the season, he's probably playing a lot better. Uh, so I just, I don't think you're going to look at that game, but I think you can look at Auburn on yeah. the road and you can look at Kentucky at home as being one of those games that you can flip. Uh, so if you can come away with a win out of one of those two games, then again, you're, you're, you're getting back to plus one in that category. Um, yeah. And so if you can you know, start three and one, and then you can go one and two in that stretch, all right, now we're looking at you know, a potential uh, 11 and seven kind of season instead of a 10 and eight or a nine and nine kind of season. The Auburn, Auburn will be interesting just because they've got JT Thor and they've got Sharif Cooper. Um, but behind those guys, as we've said before, that they've got guys between 75 and 125 in the recruiting rankings that really just had time to marinate because there was there were veterans in front of them. Uh, I tend to trust Bruce Pearl. I think he's shown the last couple of years that he's figured out how to get guys cal how to calibrate his culture and how to bring guys along to be ready to plug and play but still we have to wait and see it play out there um missouri's had trouble at auburn uh that place it, though is really an, a one that relies on atmosphere it's a it's a shoe box of eight thousand people right on top of you and when auburn gets rolling and they start hitting jumpers and the tempo picks up it, it, it's hard to come back from that but if the building's a little bit less raucous if it's not if there's not as much of a crowd to feed off of and Auburn's still trying to maybe sort out its rotation or it still has some holes in its rotation maybe this is a year where you can go down to the plains and pick off a road win so I look at that Auburn game as a potential pickup for Missouri to flip a road game in their favor so that's the one I look at as being a toss-up that that really Missouri should circle as a chance to steal and get into its column um, after that they go to Ole Miss, which um, K 
Ken Palm and the media tend to be higher on Ole Miss than I am. Um, we can get into that <laughs> maybe more next week when we preview the league. I don't get. But, I really don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, but but that's Missouri has you know had a mixed bag of results in Oxford, but they've played well there. They've played poorly there. Um, so you know, Appar- I apparently Devonte Shuler is going to have a breakout All SEC kind of year and not be the inconsistent up and down guy that we've seen for three years now that's that's huh. that's my guess that's what everybody is maybe expecting i think he's going to be Devontae Shula that we've seen for the last three years good i think but... I, yeah i think that's more likely right yeah uh that, that would be my guess then you get this is the stretch where i think if you're missouri you're really hoping and what we're talking about here is if you're at if you've managed to flip a couple games you're at six and six or seven and four as you come into this stretch of Ole Miss on the road, Arkansas at home, Georgia on the road. South Carolina on the road is always tough, um, but then you get Ole Miss at home, Texas A&M at home, and then a road trip at Florida. And they've, they, they've that, played pretty well at Florida. Yeah, they have. So that's really the stretch you're playing. Can you be at, you know, coming into those final six games, can you be at six and six or seven and five going into those final going to that final third of the season. If you are, and you can, you know, get Arkansas at home, get Georgia on the road, get Ole Miss at home, and Texas at A&M at home, now you're looking at, you know, 10-8, and 11-7. But you've got to flip one or two games in those first, in that early stretch. And I think you and I are, are, are sounding like we're in agreement where you're looking at that Auburn game on the road and maybe that LSU game at home as flip opportunities for you. That and as we'll get into next week when we sort of look at the conference as a whole a lot of teams are in Missouri's position where you you know I think between you know five and six teams are going to really be looking at their schedule going man we got to flip just results in two to three games and our season looks radically different here so Missouri's not alone in that sort of situation it, it, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of peers that are going to be trying to do the same thing Missouri's doing and maybe some teams looking at that trip to Columbia and saying, man, maybe we can flip that one. Or oh, Missouri comes in, maybe we can pick them off. So I, I think between spots 6 and 11, we're going to see a lot of teams with the same logic here. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the tough thing, you know, kind of getting back to the, you know, the irregularity of the season is, you know, I think both you and I are probably a little bit higher on Missouri than um, then general media, I think the media poll came out today and they were, they were picked, uh, 10th, which mm-hmm. I, you know, I was not surprised by, I thought, uh, a lot of people were probably going to slate, uh, you know, Missouri into that spot. Um, you know, but I also, I keep going back to, uh, where we were last year and thinking everything about this team seems like a team that could kind of be in that that more like seven range and then if you get uh, a break or two maybe you get into to five or six um, and I still think that all the elements of that team are there uh, they were just unlucky last year with some injuries so and and also really horrific shooting um, if you just improve with a couple uh you know, games really like if Jeremiah Tillman is is healthy for a couple of those games, it's very likely that Missouri is nine and nine, and we're probably in a lot different position uh, with a team that was, 
you know, nine and nine, bringing everybody back. I think now the media is expecting that team to be 10 and eight, 11 and seven. Um, you know, so I think it, it, for Missouri, it is important for them to, to just find enough uh, moments where they can kind of, you know, turn the season as opposed to, uh, you know, and again, as long as everybody's healthy and, and they're playing all the games, then it, I think there's there's plenty of opportunities for them to uh, to sort of show that that this is the team maybe we expected to see more so than uh, a year ago. Every year is different, but this is the benchmark I tend to use: ten and eight. If you get to ten and eight in the SEC, you're you're going to be in the thick of the bubble discussion. Nine and nine in this league. Every so often, a nine and nine team gets in, but usually that team has you know, really built up some equity in the non-conference portion of the schedule. Now, Missouri could do that this year. Missouri, that's the benefit of what Missouri's done with its out-of-conference schedule is they've given themselves some opportunities to, you know, build up that, you know, extra reserve and that political capital. But realistically, if you are looking at this team and saying, you know, we expect an NCAA tournament bid, 10 and 8's the number that is sort of the floor for where you have to get to. Um, as I've gone through and projected it, I usually wind up, around nine and nine or 10 and eight. Uh, you know, I run, it's, it's pretty much right on that cut line there. Um, you know, usually for me, it, you know, becomes a result of, you know, do they get that row win at Auburn or do they, you know, get a row win at A&M? Do they, you know, pick off, you know, uh, another top tier team in Columbia? It, but with tiebreakers, you could see them in 10th. At nine and nine, I think it's that type of year where we're just going to have a lot of teams clustered together, and we're going to have to try and sort that out. And maybe they're but, seven and seven. <laughs> yeah, seven and seven, uh, and that's that. So as we move through here, you know, let's us let's in the optimistic hypothetical, Missouri plays all twenty six games. If Missouri is sitting there at you know sixteen and ten and ten and eight in the SEC. That's really twenty and ten if they had four bye games. If they're fifteen and eleven and nine and nine, nineteen and eleven, nine and nine, like that. That's really where I think Missouri's going to be this year. You know, sort of in that range, mm-hmm. and that's what a healthy team should probably have produced last year. You know, you could go through and look at games where there were injuries, and that probably cost them two games. You know, the Charleston Southern game ideally should not have happened, so that's three. So. The you know we can in another pod we can talk about kind of what they're gonna have to do structurally to get there, but the schedule sets up for them to be a 19 or 20 win team, and you know can they just turn one or two results to put themselves on the bubble and in the bubble discussion? That's that's where they are right now, and um, you know if it's seventh, eighth, or ninth, it may hinge on just what happens in a couple of games and what that does to tiebreakers. So. It's, I think the margins are going to be pretty fine. So, and we kind of talked before saying um, we are close enough to the season at this point that we're probably going to come back uh, next week and record again. Mm-hmm. So we'll actually, we'll take a kind of a deeper look into the rest of the league and kind of what to expect from each team. Uh, we'll probably bring somebody on to do that. Uh, not quite sure yet because um, I'm still trying to pound out some previews and hopefully have a, a team previews for everybody to read um 
it's they're probably going to bleed into the season, but you can blame the uh, SEC for giving us a schedule so late. Um, but uh, but yeah, so overall, I think we're at a place where we we feel pretty good about uh, the the team that Missouri is bringing back, what we can kind of expect from them, um, what the expectations should be, I guess I should say. Um, we did have the signing day was yesterday. Uh, this this mm-hmm. week is really like throwing me off. I don't normally like drive to Louisville on a Tuesday, uh, get really drunk with uh, some friends, and then wake up and do a barrel pick and then drive back home right after we do it. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not a normal weekly process for me, so I'm a little thrown off. You'll have to have to forgive me. Um. But yeah, so yesterday was National Signing Day, and Missouri signed its uh, you know expected five man class, um, including Sean Dewar Gordon, who has said before and and uh, is planning on enrolling at uh, Mizzou at semester, which I think is a terrific move. Um, mm-hmm. A guy that I think we both like, and getting him on campus uh, and into the program sooner is always going to be better. Um, you have any, uh, I mean, I know that you wrote your piece yesterday, sort of, you know, breaking it down. Um, it, it's, it's an average class, you know, for what Conzo Martin, uh, has typically produced in his career at, you know, Mizzou and prior stops. And it, uh, you know, fits with Missouri's, um, MO the last decade or so, um, you know, the average recruit ranking for this group was 0.891. Uh, for the last decade, it's 0.904. Um, you know, Missouri, you know, I think I wrote, you know, or asked the question, is Conzo Martin underperforming on the recruiting trail? I don't think that's the case. If you look at his, you know, his priors from other stops, um, if you were to compare that to the expectations that fan ha- fans had after 2017, and the last couple classes where some high-profile pro- in-state kids have uh, shockingly picked Blue Blood, Sam. They've, <laughs> they've picked top 15 programs uh, over one trying to right itself. Um, then, yeah, it, it might seem a little underwhelming. And, you know, it's, as I said, I don't want to tell fans, you know, how to feel about recruiting. Um, you know, I think that angst comes from the fact that you see talent in your backyard and... You know, uh, you know, we've talked about over the last couple of years all these guys, and a lot of them fit with what Conzo wanted to do, and it's frustrating if they don't sign here. Um, but I think this is a class that you know has some good long-term assets in it. Uh, you know, I think you know we, we we've gushed about Anton Brookshire. You know, we've talked about Dewar Gordon and how we think he fits on the wing and can provide them some length defensively. You know, to me, what Trevon Brazil becomes is, in a lot of ways, going to be a bellwether for this class. Um, if he can come in and you know really capitalize and you know build on the tools and the athleticism he has, this is this is a group that's going to be a good core in a couple of years. Um, I think the job in the near term is for Conzo Martin and this current team to put together a good enough season to build up enough goodwill and political capital for him to be able to continue developing that group. Um, but it, it's one 
group that I think a lot of folks are going to look at and see potential. They've got to go out and they've got to develop it on the floor, and those guys have to come in and you know do their best to live to their end of the bargain. But there are pieces to like. Um, now it's just you know can you get them in and turn them into something productive? I like the class. I know that's shocking for you to hear. We've talked about it enough at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, there's, I think we like there's, the class. There's still a lot of work for them to do. Um, you know, I, I think the the main thing is is if if springtime comes around and they're not you know hunting uh, for an impact transfer, it, it's going to be a little bit rockier of a year than maybe we want. You know, unless. Conzo just brings back his entire senior class, which is entirely possible at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, he said he doesn't expect many of them to be back, so it sounds like they're going to be recruiting. Yeah, and I, like I don't, I don't, I don't, I really don't but, think that there's going to be a lot of seniors that are going to be taking advantage of of the Mulligan year the way uh, maybe some fans think. Uh, it, it might happen more at the mid-major level, you know, where guys' prospects for playing overseas are a lot less. Um, but even like, even like the, like Mitchell Smith, who doesn't really project to be an NBA player. I, I mean, he's, he, he's got enough size, mobility, plays hard, all that kind of stuff. He'll, he could play for 10 years overseas. Uh, and so you don't necessarily want to delay your professional career, um, you know, just to continue to make no money, um, you know running it back at at uh at mizzou uh so i i just think at the high major level you're pretty much going to see anybody whose eligibility would normally be expiring they're probably going to be going uh i I would expect you know xavier pinson probably to do the same i just i think he's he's probably itching to to turn pro and start collecting checks and and and, you know I, i i don't necessarily blame guys for that so um yeah, I, I think we're, we're probably looking, uh, and I think they're going to have to pursue recruiting uh, like they're, they're going to be you know patching over some of the losses and, and some of the production that uh, we're expecting to kind of go out the door. Yeah, the one thing that I think is important to look at that I hope people took away from this class is that you can use Missouri's prior history to really kind of define the area or the you know, range in the recruiting rankings where Missouri's typically going to shop. And that's between about number 80 and 280. Number 80 and 260 in the composite, in the 247 composite. Um, Missouri's top two priorities in the 2022 class, Aiden Shaw and uh, Terrace Reed, you know, are a little bit north of that. I think Aiden Shaw's a top 50 kid now, so he's obviously a little bit of a reach prospect. Terrace Reed is on that cut line there. So if you could land one of those two, um, that's that's more than enough for Missouri in this class. Realistically, to me, the question for Missouri is, can they continue to round out the recruiting board and find some guys between number 75 and like 130 in the composite? Um, They're going to have maybe, I think right now, four slots they're slated to fill. That could change based on how much eligibility potential transfers have that they hunt down this spring. But, you know, realistically, you know, People are going to you know, look at the top 100 and ask who Missouri is pursuing in there. I tend to think you need to look a little bit lower and ask, are they getting guys between 80 and like 130 in the composite? You know, Ideally, Torrance Watson is one of those kids that 
you should circle and say that's a guy Missouri should go get. He's a local kid, um, has at least in high school had some projectable tools to the high major level, and you could come in and as a freshman you could give him a, a role, which Missouri did as a floor spacer, and over time he would grow into a pretty valuable part of your core. Obviously that hasn't happened the way some would have hoped for Torrance, but that's kind of the model I think if you're looking at how Missouri you know, would recruit in a healthy way is they would find guys like Torrance Watson and they would become kind of the bedrock core of that class. And then you do what they've done this spring, which is go out and find some lower value, some undervalued guys or guys who are sort of late bloomers in Duragordon or Brazil and, you know, use some equity to bring those guys in and try and develop them over time. So that's, that's realistically what I hope people take away from the pieces. You know, obviously you want to land, you know, local four and five star kids, but, there's a way for Missouri to build this roster out of a certain area of the recruiting rain rankings that is feasible and, and would meet the long-term objectives for, for a program that's pretty successful. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, uh, the way that like they pivoted this year when they went with, uh, you know, Ed Chang and, and Drew Bugs, guys who, you know, I agree with you are, are probably undervalued and, and, you know, I don't necessarily think you're expecting somebody like Ed Chang um, to come in and, and just be an elite kind of player. Uh, but, you know, you were tweeting earlier about how the combo forward spot has been just a, a black hole for production, particularly on catch and shoots. And, I mean, that's the one area that, that Ed Chang can, can help you. Um, you know, so if you see him getting minutes here and there and, and, and knocking down jumpers, that's automatically going to, um, you know, to, to help Missouri in areas they were deficient last year. Uh, and then you have Drew Bugs, who I think is going to do a really nice job of taking a lot of ball handling pressure off of, you know, Pinson and particularly Drew Smith, um, you know, who I think uh, was probably overutilized in uh, his role as a ball handler last year. And now you have three guys you can turn to. And I, so I think that's like, even though what they were probably looking for was somebody, you know, more like Justin Turner, uh, you know, being able to pivot and, and sort of supplement, uh, you know, I think a belief in the guys that you have on your roster as, you know, being pretty good already and just kind of needing, uh, you know, to, to tweak things. I think that was a pretty smart move. So, um, I hope that they're kind of able to do that again this spring. Uh, you know, again, we'll kind of see, I mean, who knows what, you know, spring is going to be like, um, you know, post pandemic, not post pandemic, but I mean, kind of through, uh, all the pandemic stuff and still kind of dealing with that and, um, you know, and putting together rosters for next year. So it's <laughs> like the, the next, I am like I am so happy that we're gonna to get to watch basketball again. Um, by the way, Matt, you'll you'll be happy to hear that my league pass got renewed. Um, so, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, victory. The though, what'll be fascinating, like you were talking about, the spring is, and this is to bring up an earlier news tidbit. The Ivy is canceled its season. The Ivy League. Like you get four years. Like if you don't do the five and four thing, you got to find a new home. 
I'm imagining tamperings <laughs> are starting with Ivy League rosters. I'll just say that the way this is setting up is a whole lot of Ivy League uh, vets that are productive are probably going to be, you know, fielding lots of uh, uh, interest from high majors. So that I think that's the market's already going to start in earnest, you know, probably around mid semester, you know, as we start to see guys begin to figure out do they have any vacancies, do they have any scholarships they can already start filling, and do Ivy League guys, you know, already start trying to put markers down. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, this is Missouri staff this spring went out and, and they found specialists. Um, Drew Bugs uh, runs a ton of pick and rolls, really good at picking out shooters and distributing the basketball. Um, if you looked at Drew Smith last year and you looked at high major point guards, I think Drew was like among the top 15 nationally for pick and roll passes to spot up shooters. He was His usage was just bonkers in those situations. Now you went out and you got one of the better ones in in mid-major basketball to come in and supplement that. So now you've got two guys who can, you know, make good decisions, who are comfortable in those situations. And, you know, people have talked about, you know, what will Drew Bugs do shooting. Drew Bugs' job is to come in, you know, use a screen effectively and make a smart read. Like, the goal is to push, you know, Pinson and Drew Smith off the ball. You know, Drew Smith, you know, can spot up and shoot, but he's a really good off-ball cutter and using screens and curls to get into the lane and get into good mid-range looks. That's what you want him to do. You want Pinson to space, get a kick out, and, you know, decide if he wants to attack or not. And then you want to try and reduce the number, I think, of spot-up possessions that you're flowing to Mitchell Smith and Kobe Brown for corner threes. So that it really isn't anything that... You know, when you look at how this roster was put together, you know, there's not an impact guy like Turner, but to your point, just enough tinkering and finding just the right specialist to sort of augment what this team does well and take pressure off that combo forward spot because there's not an obvious solution there. You've got to find a way to flow possessions elsewhere. So it, I, I think as we sort of look at roster construction and we look at this past spring going into next spring, I think the staff has know shown some good signs that it can adapt on the fly and try and you know be flexible in how it uses those vacancies as they come up so it'll be interesting to see what they do this spring as the market is probably chock-a-block full of options for them so we sit here thursday november 12th um we're supposed to start basketball on the 25th uh yeah so we're we're gonna record again next week and as long as games are being played, uh, I think we'll probably be going weekly, which I think excites everybody that not that they get to listen uh, to our boring ass podcast, uh, but that we'll be getting multiple games in in uh, a week for the next what three four months. Hopefully, yep. Let's hope. Hopefully. Uh, so with that being said, are you, there anything else that you wanted to get to before we got out of here? No, no, let's, uh, we gave the people 53 minutes of our time. I, that's what I'm saying is like, we're, we're at the point where, uh, we're, we're still under an hour and feeling, feeling pretty good. Uh, we're going to be back next week. So we want, don't want to, uh, overstay our welcome. Uh, so let's just, let's get out of here. Um, go to junipereats.com. 
order yourself a, a bourbon whiskey, provided that you are 21 years of age and, and uh, capable. Uh, if you are not, and you know somebody that likes bourbon, tell them to go to Juniper Eats and order some bourbon. Um, I, I can strongly recommend it is a terrific, terrific bottle of bourbon. Matt, we're going to see about uh, getting you a bottle one way or the other. Um, set something aside, maybe. You still got to pay for it, though. Um, <laughs> so we'll be back next week. We'll have uh, we'll have a guest. We'll we'll talk some more more hoops. We'll preview the league, uh, and hopefully next week you will be able to start reading my SEC previews to to learn about those teams in the meantime. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, send them our way. Uh, we can always uh, prep things and get ready. Make sure you're subscribed. All uh, all hate mail goes to Mitch. Um, yeah, that's it. We're out of here. Thanks for tuning in.